Getting to be a parent is so freaking cool. I never thought I wanted to be a parent. I was pretty pretty sure I didn't want to be. But uh turns out I was wrong. I love it. It's, I mean, it's incredibly hard and challenging and pushes you to all the buttons and everything. But, but I mean, it's just awesome. It's amazing to get to watch people grow up. It's so joyful and, uh, yeah, full of meaning. But also, I think it's really intellectually interesting. There's been all sorts of just philosophical conundrums that I've popped into my brain being a parent these last few years. And uh, so I was thinking, just kind of roll through five of them, maybe six um, questions I've popped in my brain. And there's a lot more. And so I will spend more time in the future diving into more of these, but just for tonight, just five of them. Um, so the first question, uh, what level of specificity of desire should parents have in terms of their ch- children's future? Y- you know, sometimes we have this caricature of old school parents having a very clear vision of they want their child to go to this school and have this career and marry this kind of person, live in this kind of place. Um, and we all kind of cringe when we see that because it seems it's a bit overbearing, certainly. Um, so yeah, what level of specificity in terms of a child's future is appropriate? Um, because we are, you know, meant to act as ambassadors for our children's future selves. Of course, we don't know what our kid's future self will want in specifics, so we have to kind of aim for generalities. Um, the Our ch- child's future self wants to be alive, not dead. Uh, they don't want to be in jail. Uh, they want to have meaningful connections to other people, at least some financial freedom in life, an ability to sleep well at night. And I think that's a very overlooked one, but an ability to sleep well at night. Uh, so that can be conscience and stress, if you, you know, a number of different things go into that one. But um, yeah, I think, I think you can assume that those large scale ones are going to be true of our children's future selves. And so my, my hunch would be that that's the level of specificity that we should have is what behaviors should we be pushing our children towards that will allow them to have those basics met? Because beyond that, you know, they might want to live in Australia. They might want to live in Antarctica. They might want to date women, men, all sorts of other things. They want, might not, might not want to date at all. You know, they might want to work as a bartender or work as a priest or work as a stockbroker. Um, and they might be unhappy in all those things. So, but you can, I think those, those big ones are safe to assume. Um, and there's a lot under there because there's, it's not actually trivial to avoid all, have all those things go right. Um, but I think that's the the right way to think about it is what are those things that in 40 years, your child will definitely agree on as yes, those are values for me too. Not being dead, not being in jail, having meaningful connections. Um, a little bit, at least some financial freedom, ability to sleep. I think, I think our children in 40 years would agree on those values, but yeah, what do you actually do with that? How do you actually turn that into meaningful, you know, praxis for parenting? Uh, I don't know yet. So I'm going to keep ruminating on that. Next question is to what extent are parents ethically entitled to authoritarianism to serve what they see as their child's future selves needs? So, you know, even if we assume we're going to give a lot of latitude, what career our child might have education, they might want to engage in all that kind of stuff. There is, you know, like, again, it's pretty hard to achieve those other things, even just say not in jail. Um, And so certainly I think we all would agree a very young child, you know, one, two year old, whatever we can, we are effectively in 
we have the right and the responsibility to act as entire authoritarians because they don't know anything about what can hurt them, who can hurt them, uh, how they can hurt other people. And so we act as their, as their, what would you say? Willpower. We act as their, you know, we completely direct their activity. But then of course, as time goes on, um, they become more free agents of with their own free will. But we're still left the question of, yeah, I mean, if you know your child's going to go engage in some behavior that has a meaningful chance of getting them in trouble or getting them real sick, you know, you know, whatever is drugs or whatever else, it seems like maybe you are ethically entitled to authoritarianism. So you're not leaving the house. <laughs> um, but, you know, the knock-on question to that would be, even if they are, if you are entitled to it ethically, is it strategically correct? Can you actually accomplish that goal? And I think this is actually a very similar question to the same question that governments have to answer with their own populace. Because, you know, there's behaviors that, that governments, that we can all kind of agree are, are not ideal. Say smoking cigarettes. So what level of authoritarianism is the government uh, ethically entitled to, to keep you from doing stupid shit that you're going to hurt yourself with? Um, yeah. And obviously we all kind of come down different spots on there. Um, but there are two separable parts of that question. One being the, um, are you, is the government ethically entitled to that? And the second being is actually strategically possible. Um, yeah. I mean, the thing about authoritarian, and when you use that word in government settings, that implies either violence or the threat of violence. And... I think on a average societal level, at least in America, um, I think corporal punishment has obviously gone way down in terms of its social acceptance. Um, and so I think obviously these questions are shifting in terms of how we see the role of authoritarianism in parenting. Does authoritarianism mean even exist without the threat of violence? What does that look like without the threat of violence? I'm not sure. The one thing I, I forgot to mention on that, when we talked about the first question in terms of this level of specificity of desire for the future, you know, for our children's futures, which is an anecdote. I remember, you know, the point is, what the, the message there was, I, I, we don't have a good sense for what our children will want. But, you know, as a counterpoint to that, that our children don't have a good sense for what their future selves will want. Because I remember in high school, I was pretty sure I didn't want to go to college. I don't know why. You just get these ideas in your head, you know. And, um, you just, you get kind of wrapped up in your own beliefs. You get stubborn, whatever. It's like, oh yeah, I don't want to go to college. That's what everybody's doing. But then my mom was relatively forceful in saying, no, you, you should need to try this. Um, and I even, I remember I'm, I missed a deadline for some application and she like said, no, we're going to call in and we're going to get, get you applied still. And it was all kind of, you know, felt a little overbearing at the time, but then of course she was hundred percent right. I loved it. It was, it was amazing. It was some of the best years of my life. It was so much fun. And I did love learning. So of course I would love college, but I'm just, you know, when you're in high school, sometimes you're just kind of an idiot. Um, and so that was a case where my mom did have a little more specificity in terms of desire, in terms of what she saw in my future. And that was getting a college education. And she was right. I was wrong. 
So, you know, <laughs> there's no hard and fast rules here. It's just an interesting question to explore. Um, so one of the things I mentioned, which is not my idea by any means, is that one of the roles of parents is to act as a ambassador for a child, a child's future self, because, you know, most children don't have a really good grasp of what time means and what their future self might want and how to have, you know, productive relationships with their future self. And so the parent acts as that ambassador of that future self to what that child could become. Um, but so uh, one of the things I was wrestling with is we also, another rule of parents is to act as, as a proxy for society in that we, we don't let our children, um, run around naked in a store or like start throwing their clothes off in the grocery store. Not necessarily because we're going to get kicked out, although that might happen too, but also because we kind of all of a sudden embody the, the, the collective gaze of society in a, into our own body and the, feel that shame. And then we pass it on to our children and say, no, don't do that. And we're acting, what we're trying to do there implicitly is of course, make them more amenable to society, make it so that they can flow through society, different, you know, different groups, different settings, different institutions, um, without pissing a bunch of people off or grossing a bunch of people out or, um, turning a bunch of people off or, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so we're acting as a proxy for society, some averaged out society that we've done completely implicitly, you know, why we don't want to teach our children to swear too early is because, you know, obviously there's no inherent reason why fuck is better, worse word than apple, but society seems to think that it is a worse word. And so we try to teach our children not to say that at least for a while, um, because we are acting as a proxy for society. So anyway, the question is, what's the more appropriate thing or in our even intention should we acting as a ambassador or a proxy for our child's future or acting as a uh, proxy for society. And obviously I think the model of being a proxy for society can be taken way too far where it's just like you completely box your child into the societal norms that are acceptable and you don't let them express themselves. And, and so there's like an averaging thing, like you must be like the average and obviously that has a long history of being really shitty for people who are not the average. But, and then the future thing. Yeah, those are those the same thing to act as the act as a ambassador for our child's future and that uh, proxy for our society? Are they the same thing? They're not quite the same thing. I'm just kind of murky in my mind about how those two behaviors overlap or come into conflict. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I have much more to say on that. So then another tension is fourth question for mine is what's the optimal balance between judgment and unconditional love? And I think this is one of the, one of the really big ones for me. It's like, um, they're both fundamentally necessary for a child to thrive. It would seem to me is unconditional love. You are enough. What you are now is enough. You are loved. You will be loved forever. And judgment, you are not enough. The way you're behaving is not good enough. You're hurting someone. You're hurting yourself. Um, you're capable of more. Those are both, you know, in one sense, they're literally opposites. You are enough. You are not enough. <laughs> they're literally opposites, right? Um, but I can't see a life that 
a, a thriving life that doesn't contain both those in almost equal measure. And it's, so it's hard, you know, when just looking on a surface level intellectually, like how can you combine those two, those two sentiments? You are enough, you are not enough. And, um, yeah, I think it's, it's not just for children either. It's, it's for ourselves. It's how we relate to ourselves. I think it's, it's fundamental that we have kind of an, uh, unwavering respect and love for ourselves. And that's no trivial thing. I'm not saying that like that. I'm not, that's not a throwaway comment. That's, that's a very hard thing to develop, especially because that's not something that our society has been very good at in the past. Maybe we're getting better at that, but, um, and I think some people err obviously on one side or the other with themselves. Some people are obviously too judgmental themselves and don't have enough unconditional love. Maybe some other people have too much, what would you call leeway for themselves? And that's probably not even unconditional love. It's more like you just let yourself get away with a lot of shit and you don't even love yourself, but you just let yourself get away with a lot of stuff. Um, yeah, but to me that, and this is like in a relationship in uh, any kind of relationship, friendship, uh, romantic relationship, workplace relationship, and especially in the, the self relationship and the parenting relationship, even mo- more than anything is I want to keep thinking about how to live in those two mindsets at the same moment that you are enough. You don't need to change. You can be happy now. And you are not enough. You are not expressing your potential. You are not exploring your potential. Yeah. And that's these two ideas, the tension between these two poles, you know, they exist in our religion, the loving God and the merciful, you know, the loving, merciful God and the, the wrathful God. And in our, in our in legal institutions, every human being is endowed with unalienable rights, unalienable rights. Um, even if you are um, charged with murder and it's kind of everybody knows you did it, you still have, you're treated with respect, you know, ideally, these are, you know, these are the ideals anyway, you're treated with respect and dignity, you have a right to a fair trial. Um, and so, but we will also, societally, we will judge you and we might throw you in prison. And that is a judgment. And so it seems like our constitution, our, the Declaration of Independence is trying to do that, that cake block, that knife's edge walk between these two concepts. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to keep messing with that for myself and for my kids. How to, how to bring those two at the same time. Fifth question, and maybe this is either the last one or one more, is you know, what to make a hypocrisy in parenting? Because you know, you'll tell your kid, I'll tell my kids to go to bed, got to get a good night's sleep. And then I'll stay up way too late watching some show that I'm addicted to. And I'm like, oh, kids, we got to limit your screen time. And then they go to bed and I'm just glued onto my phone. And yeah, so what what do we what are we supposed to make of hypocrisy in parenting? Is it unethical? I don't necessarily think so i guess my best my my best argument for why it's not unethical would be 
their brains are just very sensitive, unmolded. Um, they have way less, you know, willpower, ability to sense the present. So for me to imbibe in things that are somewhat vicey, screen time, drugs, alcohol, uh, staying up late, you know, you know, too many sweets or whatever, this, that, and other. It has maybe less of a future ramification type effects than if my 10 year old, I don't have a 10 year old, but my 10 year old child did that. And so this, that would be some, you know, logical justification for why do what I say and not what I do is ethical. But it's really hard because as soon as you become a parent, you, you see a lot of the behaviors that you weaknesses you have, or just kind of the odd quirks of personality behavior that you had and have had as a child and still have probably now reflected back at you. And, um, you realize, Oh, I haven't really worked on some of those things yet. And, but I'm still tasked with trying to make you into a better person than you are now and more socially acceptable, more capable of exploring your full potential. And so we're these, these deeply flawed beings tasked with trying to create a slightly less flawed being. And I just, I, I don't know if hypocrisy is just an inherent part of that mission. I'm still going to think more on that one. The last one is more, a little bit more fun is, um, I had this sense that I was thinking about Santa and it's just like this perfect, he's this perfect omnipresent guy. He's like, he's always watching. It's like, it's perfect as a parent to have this creep, this, um, being out there that is, that you can tell your kids that's watching you, um, always watching you and he's judging right and wrong and he will reward you with presents. And if you don't, you know, if you don't act right, then you might get less presents or whatever. And it's like, it's all, it makes it all of a sudden you have all these spies, the spy around you because, you know, as a parent, you don't get to see everything. And it's just a really useful trick as a parent to have, um, to be able to call on otherworldly beings to watch over your children and keep them in line and have them thinking about that. And then, of course, the immediate thought for me was like, oh, that's just, that's God. That's the same idea as God. He's he's watching over, he's judging our activities right and wrong, but he's also loving, you know? Um, and and I will say, just taking a step back, I will say there's, I, I do find it interesting and compelling question of whether it's okay to lie to your children in terms of fairy tales, like Santa, because Santa doesn't exist, but we tell our children that and just the moral, like the moral realm of that. It's like, obviously we all love fiction. So kids love reading fiction and they don't, you know, we don't ever explicitly say, um, that this is, um, this is like a fiction book you're reading or not a fiction book, but they, I think they know it, but you know, with Santa or Easter bunnies, other things like that, it's more or less explicitly lying. People like Sam Harris would definitely say it's not the right move because you're, you know, it's eroding trust. And I used to believe that too, but I don't know. I think, I think the power of fiction to convey meaning, convey stories, convey principles is just so powerful. And to live out a fiction like that for at least a little while, because obviously everybody gets disabused of it. I don't know. I think there's something there. For one thing, I think um, Santa and God to me, this is my working hypothesis. They're just a, are they just a personification of cause and effect? Because, you know, we're kind of like, we're just 
bumbling apes, all of us, and then our children are really young baby bumbling apes. And so we have to be reminded of the relationship between cause and effect, you know, karma. What we do has ramifications for our future self and for other people, of course, but um, most people really respond to, you know, what their future self is going to get from um, their back, their activity. And so, yeah, our Santa and God, just a personification of cause and effect to make it more relatable, more uh, easier to call to mind. There's somebody watching and they will be judging. And it's not literally true, but it's functionally, it's functionally it's true because our actions are right or wrong actions will cause suffering or happiness for us on average. Um, yeah. Anyway, that was just kind of a fun one. You know, yeah. Is it ethical to tell your children Santa exists, even though he doesn't? And, uh, is Santa, are Santa and God functionally personification of cause and effect? More to think about there. Obviously there's a lot more to those concepts than just that idea of cause and effect, but there's something there. Anyway, and this is not to say that, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I just see it as just an insane gift to get to watch somebody grow up. I view that as just an, ins- oh, an absolutely dumbfounding blessing to get to watch these little beings become different every day and change so much. And you know, over the course of five years, six years, 10 years. So um, believe me, I count my blessings on that. And I... Well, if you have any questions about parenting that um, I didn't, I didn't ponder. I mean, this is just five very random questions. I'm sure there are. Uh, send them to me. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, as always, you can email me at happywhencurious at gmail.com. And I hope you have a wonderful weekend. If you have kids, I hope you get some quality time with them. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next week on Happy When Curious. Mm-hmm.